hadn't met and chatted yet. Uh, so we're looking at this uh, last little, this section from the book of Hebrews. And I wanted to make a few things, a few points as we started. And the first is, um, it's true that life is hard, isn't it? For all of us, whether you have faith or you don't have faith, life is full of challenges. Now, when we were young, some of you are still young, when we were young, we, we looked at the world ahead of us and we thought, you know what, life might be tricky now, but it's going to be great, isn't it? I just go, yes, it's so full of promise. The world is your oyster. And then as you go on, you discover, actually, you know what, it's kind of tough. There's lots of great stuff, but it's hard. So uh, one of the things we realize and we are told as we go through the challenges of life is that it's better together. You ever heard that? It's better together. And we saw that even this week, the little, um, a little campaign on social media, are you okay? Just reaching out, saying, you know what? If we're going to get through life, we've got to do it together. That's, everyone knows that, right? Uh, <laughs> problem, of course, is that some of the people you're called to do it with are the people who make it hard. Um, that's one of the challenges we'll think about. Now, listen, one of the things that can happen if you're a religious person or you're a person of faith is you can think, well, it's really hard out there, but if, if I'm a paid-up follower of Jesus, if I'm religious, then my life won't be hard. God will come through and spare me all these difficulties, right? I don't know if you've ever thought that. It's often the sort of deal. It's the old... One of the oldest tricks in the book in terms of marketing, isn't it? The, the old bait and switch, you know? You come to Jesus and he'll sort out all your problems. But the switch is you discover when you're a person of faith, all your problems don't go away. And actually, what, what else do you discover? Your faith can introduce a whole new set of problems and suffering, right? That you might not have had before. And that was the situation of the recipients of this letter of the book of Hebrews, that they'd come to faith in Jesus, largely from a Jewish background in this urban context, very multicultural, much like our city today. And they'd had this initial, yep, this is amazing, this is awesome, living for Jesus. And they'd discovered over time that like faith was hard and life was was hard, and they were tempted to give up and go, oh, it's just too hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop associating with Jesus, and I might go back to being Jewish, or I might go back to being pagan. Maybe that will make life work. And the book of Hebrews is written to say, don't do that. Hang on to Jesus. It's the first ten, nine chapters. And now these next few chapters is going to say, much like our secular world will say, if you're going to get through the hard times, it's going to go better together. The one thing you can't afford to do when faith and life gets really hard, what you can't afford to do is disengage from community and disengage from other people of faith. We absolutely need each other. But community is really hard, isn't it? It's... Everybody in our culture says, we all need each other. Uh, and then we also say, well, we're all hard to get along with, apart from me. Um, so now I need my lovely assistant, Kath, to come up here. 
And we're going to do a little, we're going to, we're going to, you need to bring the microphone, I think. We're going to act, we're going to just do something, a little, little. Okay, so you need a, you're good? Also is unscripted. It is, it is, like the best things in life. So, uh, a long, long time ago, in a land far away, which we'll call Germany, uh, there were two hedgehogs, and one hedgehog's name was... Martin? No. Oh, Martin, okay. Martin. I was, what was his... Okay, Martin. Catherine. Catherine, that's not a very German name. Let's go Hilda. We'll make you Hilda. Hilda the, Hilda. He- Hilda Hilda. the Hedgehog. Hilda. Okay, Hilda the Hedgehog. And the other hedgehog's name was... Klaus. 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 I'm Klaus the Hedgehog. You're Hilda the Hedgehog. Now, Hilda, you can leave that on so we, everyone can hear you. Uh, and, and now what, I've got, what you've got to do is you've got to get into the role of being a hedgehog. Now, hedgehogs have what? They have quills, don't they? I thought they were doing it, not me. No, no, you, you. So, <laughs> so you, here's your quill. Let me see your quill, Kath. My what? Your quill. The pointy thing that comes out of a hedgehog. No, come out sideways. That's too... Oh, that way. Just no. do what I'm doing. Stand okay. over there. There's okay. your quill. Okay, you that's can... beautiful. Now move further away. Thanks. Thanks, Hilda. Now, now <laughs> it's winter in, in this land far, far away called Germany. And, uh, and now I have a problem. Hilda! Klaus. Hilda, I'm cold. Put a jumper on, Klaus. Ah, oh, you, you are too Germanic in your efficiency. I have another suggestion, Hilda. What's that, Klaus? Maybe, maybe we could warm each other up. Mm. Come a little closer. Come a, how's that? Is that? Are you warmer now? Not really. No, I'm, I'm still f- cold. I'm not cold. Aren't you? <laughs> well, this is going really well. So, but I'm still cold. This in, I'm, I'm cold, Hilda. Can we get a little closer? Would you closer? like me to warm you up, Ah, oh, Hilda, I would love you to warm. Let's get a little closer, Hilda. Ouch. How is that? Ouch. Oh, oh, Ouch. Oh, 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 what's wrong, Hilda? You're, you're, you're poking me. You're, you're, you're I'm po- hurting okay, me. Okay, okay, okay. There we go. There we go. There we go. Okay. But I was lovely and warm. But now, Hilda, I have a problem. What's that, Klaus? I'm cold again. Come, let's get, can you warm me up? Can you warm me up? Just slowly, 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 slowly. Ah, oh, that feels nice. Ah, that's warm. Ah, am I hurting you now? No. That's beautiful. This Thank is you, personal Hilda. Space of a there we go. Okay. Now, um, what was the point of that? Don't live in Germany. Snow's terrible. Um, <laughs> don't do unscripted things. Uh, there are two life forces in the world, uh, and the one is the force uh, for togetherness, and the other is the force for separateness. They animate and drive. So much of our interactions. And life is really about how, about how hedgehogs can, get their, can balance these two life forces. So uh, uh, Klaus and Hilda the hedgehogs um, were, were separate. 
and they were being driven by their forces of separateness. But out there being separate, they were cold and alone. And so the force of togetherness starts moving them together, right? And so you come together, you come together, you move together, you move together. What happens when you get too close? When your togetherness overwhelms the force of separateness, what happens? You start hurting each other. You get too close for comfort and you poke each other. And so what do you do? Then you move away a bit. And then you start getting cold again. So your force of separateness takes over, pulls you apart. And then you, oh, no, no, I'm cold. I move together. Now, in life, uh, life is about finding that, that balance, that place where you are close enough to feel connected so your need for togetherness is at work, but, uh, uh, but not so close that you're poking each other and hurting each other. And your need for separateness needs to move you further apart. Now... Uh, in our culture, um, we've, we're quite bad at negotiating this, right? Um, and we all want community, but here's the thing. In our culture, what, which of these two forces typically dominates? Like, we're really good at the separateness, aren't we? We are, we are thoroughly individualistic. So our, our gap between each other is pretty big. So uh, Hilda said, you know, no, I'm warm. I'm fine. I'm a, I'm a happy, individualistic, uh, 21st century consumer capitalist hedgehog. And I don't really need you that much, do I? I'm good. I'm, I'm fine right where I am. And, and of course, I'm, I'm you know, Klaus the hedgehog, he comes from a more traditional Jewish background, and Klaus wants to be closer because Klaus hasn't drunk so deeply from the well of 21st century individualist consumer capitalism. <laughs> so, uh, so life is about juggling that. Now, what's, here's the thing, right? When, <laughs> when two hedgehogs have poked each other a few times... They get really sensitive, don't they? And you've got a whole bunch of scars and hurts that actually over time make it harder to get close, don't they? You're kind of, you're gun shy or you're quill shy, aren't you? You're like, ah, oh. and isn't this how community works? So I, you think about your entry perhaps into a community like the church or a marriage or a relationship, right? As we get older, we've got all these little sore spots, and little things about us. And you move into the community and you come together and you just, the, the, you know, a little touch on that sore spot and you back off and you run a mile. And here's the thing though, we, we all have different sore spots. We all have different hurts. We all have different needs for closeness and separation. And life is all about juggling these two competing life forces. What the book of Hebrews says is, Unless and until you manage to form deep, close, committed community, you're never really going to get through life and flourish. You actually just, and we know this, don't we? But we're stuck because so many of us struggle because we're way out, disconnected from each other, and we know that that's not a great place to be. So everyone says, oh, we want to be close, we want community, but you know what, we, we find it scary, we find it hard, we don't know how to do it, we don't know how to deal with the fact that we poke each other and we hurt each other, and what do you do then? Hebrews says, you, can't, you won't go the distance in faith 
unless you figure this stuff out. And in fact, it's even more serious. Than, it's really serious, isn't it? So uh, it says in the end, uh, and you might have re- uh, um, seen these verses and thought, what the heck's going on here? This little passage from verse 26 to 30 gives us this incredible warning. And it says, and if you, if you disconnect from the church, if you disconnect from the people of God, I think that's what it means by deliberately keeping on sinning, by the way. So my hypothesis is that this little phrase, uh, deliberately keeping on sinning, is, is a deliberately excluding yourself from the community of God and therefore the benefits of God's people. If you turn from Jesus and turn from his people, uh, you, you put yourself in a place of great spiritual danger. Uh, we know that to be true in every area of life. You, you find you can't live without others in, in our every day-to-day life, and you can't live without others in our spiritual lives. So uh, there's a great warning. There's a great promise, um, isn't there? There's a great promise that if you do this, if you don't shrink back, and I love that, if you're not... Uh, if you're not Hilda the Hedgehog, who's a reactive distancer and shrinks back, we're not those who shrink back, but we're those who have faith and are saved. If we find a way of managing those life forces, we'll be saved. We'll find that God will actually bring us into his eternal home forever and for always, full of love and joy and everything good that we've always longed for. So the stakes are high in terms of managing these dynamics and making community work. So, how do we do it? Well, I want to give you a little lesson in theology first, or really in theological ethics. And uh, whenever God gives us a command, you need to understand, here's a little phrase to remember, slightly odd words, um, but you might remember it. In, when the Bible addresses us, always remember the imperative follows the indicative. Okay? It's a lesson in theological ethics and the Christian life. What does that mean? What's an imperative? A command. Okay, and what's an indicative? It's a description of the way the world currently is. An indicative statement is a descriptive statement of the way the world is. So biblically, whenever God commands us to do something... It's on the basis of what he has already done and the way the world really is. Okay, so God doesn't say, obey me in order that I will love you. What does God say? That would be an imperative followed by an indicative. Do this and then God will love you. This will be the state of affairs that comes into being. What, what is the order biblically? God says, here's the indicative. I love you, and then what's the imperative? Now obey me. Do you see? Okay, so, is that clear? If it's not clear for you, it's probably not clear for others in the room. Just stick your hand up if that's not clear, and I'll explain it again. Because it's quite a profound point. Okay, uh, now, in this text, which is really critical, there are two uh, indicatives that set the scene for our ability to form community. Let's have a look at them. What are they? Can anyone see the the indicatives here? He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since, here's the hint, 
since, this is describing what exists, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. That's the first, this is the first indicative, right? What do we have here? We have confidence to uh, come to God. Don't we? And this first, uh, this first indicative is backed up by a second indicative that actually uh, is exact, really makes a similar point, builds on this. Here's the second since that gives us the hint. Since we have a great priest over the house of God. That's the second. Do you see that? That's the second thing. So we have a priest, a great high priest, Jesus. Now, what, what is that saying? That is saying, hey, listen, do you know the way the world really is? You know, the, a, an accurate description of the way the world really is, is that at the center of all of reality is a God of infinite love, infinite power, infinite holiness and glory. This is the God who made us and who uh, many of us are rightly terrified of. You know, when you come into the presence of greatness and glory, you, you get terrified. I can't draw, dare to draw near to this God. But the Bible says the way the world is, this God has now, through the provision of his own son Jesus, as our sacrifice and as our priest, has said we can come into his presence any time with complete, utter confidence. That's the way the world is. So, so imagine God is the hedgehog. God is the hedgehog, has no quills. <laughs> He's never going to hurt us when we draw near to him. We can go to him with complete, utter confidence, throw our arms around him and get all the warmth and love and life we want from him always and forever. That's the way the world really is. It's the difference, the other difference, the way to think about it. It's the difference between... Um, <laughs> Approaching Donald Trump, now, now think about him in the office, not as the person I know. You know. The, the office of the President of the United States, the most powerful person in the world, all glory, rule, the one remaining ruler of the global empire. And, uh, and, and to get into, into Trump's presence, if you're just an ordinary person, you grovel, you go through enormous security screening and hoops, and you might get maybe you know, a three-minute slot in his calendar if you're a really, really, really important person. Yeah, maybe more if you're a Russian businessman, but that's another story. Um, so, so you get into his presence, you grovel, you come in in the presence of glory. What do you think it's like for his son? I'm assuming he's a decent dad. And I'm assuming his dad, his son, when he, you know, when he comes, comes to spend the weekend at the White House, he just walks up to his dad and gives him a hug. It's the confidence of a child coming to their dad or a child running to give them a jump onto their mum's lap when, when life's got hard. The Bible says that's, that's actually the way the world is. Like you, me, God. He has no quills. He's never going to poke us. We're only ever going to find love and acceptance from him. Isn't that pretty cool? So that's the way the world is. Now, that's the indicative. What then does it say about us? And uh, what, then, what are the imperatives it gives us flowing from this state of affairs? If God is like this, uh, here, there are three lettuces. Uh, and I was going to, I, have, I preached on this many years ago, and I actually did bring lettuces out. 
And I said, this is a talk all about lettuces. Uh, I asked the nine o'clockers if I should do that for this service, and they said no. But I'm starting to regret that. I feel like if I had some nice big iceberg lettuces here, that would help as a visual reminder. Uh, Look at the lettuces. Here's the first lettuce. What does it say? If this is the way the world is, let us do what? Ah, look at that, hey? Let us draw near to God. Why? With a sincere heart, full assurance that faith brings. Just, ah, friends, if you're going to go through life with all its hardships and all its difficulties, when you stuff up, and when life gets hard, let our first response be to draw near to God, not to run away from him. I find that happens so often, and I, know, I think I understand why. When we go through great times of suffering and hardship, there's a, there's a deep human response that goes, God, you've let me down. God, you've poked me, and, and, and I'm hurting. And so we run away from God, and actually the Bible says, no, 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 look, God, is, God has no quills. He'll never hurt you. So when you're hurting, when life is tough, run to him, draw near to him. In fact, the Bible says when we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. Come into his presence. Learn to live day by day and moment by moment, drawing near to God. Actually, imagine that. I, don't, I do this little thought exercise myself sometimes, and I go, what is it like to imagine that where my skin ends, God begins? Huh, imagine that. And what does it mean to, channeling the spirit of the age, to lean in to God in that way, to say, I've got to be consciously aware that God is here with us and I shouldn't run and hide, I should draw near to him, particularly when it's hard, when I'm full of doubts, when it seems like he's abandoned me. That's when I need to draw near. That's the first thing. Draw near. Our our hearts, we've been cleansed from a guilty conscience. You know, one of the reasons we don't draw near to God is because we feel like we've let him down. Isn't that right? Like, I mean, I know those of you, those of you who, um, who married, I know this will never happen to you, but I know myself when I've, uh, when I've let Margot down, which, which happens more often than I'd like, um, it's hard to front up to someone you've, who you love and who you've let down and say, oh, you know, be all vulnerable and intimate and honest. It's hard to do that, right? We'd, we'd rather just distance and run away. <laughs> of course, that doesn't help. And we do that with God because we let him down all the time. And God says, draw near to me. Man, you're going to find nothing but love and grace and an embrace. No quills. Um, so that's the first lettuce. What's the second lettuce? Where do we, where do we see the next lettuce? Verse 23. Whoop. Let's change the uh, let us. Here's the second let us. And what are we to do here? We're to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And uh, notice, by the way, right through this, this is all in the plural. If you notice this, it's all us's. It's let us, let us, let us. Lettuces, not carrots. I don't know. That actually doesn't work, but it seemed like it did. It's, we're, we're all together in this. And hold on to your hope, right? Hold on. Uh, some years ago, we were having some challenges. I was having some challenges. We'd made a decision. We're in a situation that was pretty tough. And uh, a 
friend of mine, a colleague of mine said to me, Mark, don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. Don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. In the light of the cross, God has shown you how much he loves you. Don't doubt it when it seems like he's absent. Don't doubt it when, when God guides us and you follow him, maybe Penelope to that dentist, and maybe it hadn't worked out so well. You go, well, no, God gave me an orange, a dream of an orange dentist, and so now I've followed God in the light to the dentist, and it hasn't worked out. Don't doubt that God has stopped, that his plan has ended for you. You pray you trust God, you make a decision, you step out in faith in the full light of day, getting guidance from God, wisdom of other people, the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit showing you which way to go. You, you've studied, you've sought wisdom, you make your decision, God loves you, step into that decision and don't doubt God in the darkness. Because think about Jesus' life, right? I find Jesus so encouraging and also terrifying and confronting. Because how did Jesus go with holding on to the, uh, unswervingly to his hope? Garden of Gethsemane, he's just about to die. What's he doing? He's there wrestling with God and saying, God, I don't want this to happen. Can we have a plan B? Like, you know, I've got all these other disciples, maybe just crucify them, you know? Like, why don't we, I don't know, he probably wasn't saying that, but he was maybe thinking, I don't know. Send in the Marines. I don't know. Can't we just wait a couple of thousand years and then Donald will bring in the kingdom? I mean, who knows what he was thinking? He's saying, there's got to be another plan. And, and he's in agony and sweat like blood is dripping down. And then he says to God, not my will, but yours be done. And how did that work out for him? A couple of days later, there he is hanging on a cross, naked, humiliated, ashamed, abandoned by everyone, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At any second, Jesus could have got down off the cross, couldn't he? Right? He could have just invoked his, I don't know how this works. It's the mystery of the dual, full humanity and full deity of Christ. Presumably, he could have just gone, uh, no, this is too much. Invoked his divinity and just disapparated to somewhere else, right? But he didn't. What kept him on the cross? What kept him on the cross was holding on to the hope that he had that all of the Hebrew scriptures foretold a time when Messiah of Israel would come and that God would not abandon this Messiah to the grave. So Jesus, trusting the promises of God, stayed on the cross even to the point of complete utter abandonment by God on the cross. That's what it means. That's the imperative. That's the Christian life. And how did it work out for Jesus? He stayed on the cross for the hope that was set before him. We'll see this in Hebrews 12. That's our model of the Christian life, that together hold on to this hope because God is faithful. Right? Even when every bit of evidence around you screams out, no, he's not, when the darkness of, of, uh, of persecution of mental illness, of poverty, squishes out every visible reminder of the faithfulness of God. Scripture says he's faithful. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. That's hard, right? So how do we do it? Well, the final lettuce uh, completes the salad Verse 24, 
let us, what are we to do? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Right? Let us consider. But here's what I, what I want you to see about this verse. Uh, so, so bear with me. It's a little complicated to explain what's going on there at one level because the way it's translated here, it can read, let me think about how I can give you a kick up the bum so you can get on and love other people. Right? Do you see how you could read it that way? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> I think that's how, that, that's what it's, that seems one way we could read it. That's not actually, I don't think, the intention of the writer um, and how it's meant to be read. I think a better way to read it is consider one another in order to provoke love and good deeds. So the, the Greek can be translated, uh, but it's this it's consider one another. in order to. Okay, what's the difference there? What does this mean? The only way we're going to hold on to the hope we've got, the only way we're going to draw near to God, the only way we're actually going to survive this life is if each of, if, is if we, each of us in this community spend our time considering each other, getting to know each other, seeing you, hearing you, knowing what's going on for you, so that as I see and know and hear and feel your needs, that moves me and us to love and good deeds. Community only happens when we have this kind of radical other person-centeredness. I see, I know you. I mean, one of the reasons this is so powerful, isn't it, is that um, you know, the greatest gift we can give anyone, actually, or one of the greatest gifts we can give anyone, is seeing them and hearing them. I mean, we all want that, don't we? We want to be heard. We want someone to know what life is like from inside our skin. And Hebrews is saying, what we've got to do if we're going to build this kind of community is get to know each other, pay really close attention to each other so that we can love each other. Now, that's hard, isn't it? Why is that hard? Well, one of the reasons it's hard is, you know, going back to the hedgehog metaphor, if I've got a whole bunch of scars... I'm never going I'm, to, I'm, I'm just going to be scared of getting close enough to be in a place where you can actually see me and hear me and know me. <laughs> I'm going to, because this requires vulnerability. And uh, if I'm not vulnerable and open, you can't really see what's going on. And if you can't really see my needs, you can't love me. So vulnerability is hard, right? Uh, we've all got baggage. We don't like it. And, but then we're in, a, we're, we're in a bind because we want people to know us. <laughs> but we're scared that what if they know us and they hurt us? But unless I'm known, I can't be loved. So we kind of come into communities with all these unspoken expectations, expecting that people can read our minds. <laughs> and then we're disappointed when they don't love us. 
But how could they love us? Because they don't know that we have these needs because we've been so hurt in the past that we're keeping everybody out. Our quills are like six feet long, man. I've been poked before. I'm not going to let you poke me. But actually, I desperately need you to come closer. And you know, if you are vulnerable, people will look at you and know you. And then they'll still hurt you in the church. (laughs) Isn't that great news? They really will. Because they're just like you. In the same, exactly the same way that you want to be seen and loved and you're trying to judge, is this safe? Will people hurt me? So everybody else is doing the same dance. And we're all scared of vulnerability. We're all desperate for it. It's hard. It takes time. So what do we do? Well, listen, here's, here's why the gospel is the best news in the world for building a community of psychological and spiritual health and well-being. Because listen, what, what gives me the ability to be vulnerable? Well, I know that there is one person in the world whose opinion of me matters more than anyone else in all of the world. And I know that he thinks I am perfect, just as I am. And I can be completely transparent with this person. And I know that in his love and acceptance, I am completely and utterly secure. So no matter who else pokes me, this love that I have from this incredibly significant person, this love gives me such a source of strength and life and confidence about myself that no matter what anyone else does, it can never actually kill or critically wound the core of who I am. Does that make sense? See, if I know that God loves me, the, the, the person whose opinion matters the most, the, the God who is infinitely powerful, and in charge of all of the universe, who knows me better than anyone else in all the world knows me, if this God says, Mark, I love you absolutely, totally, there is nothing you can do that could ever stop my love for you, if if this God's love floods my life, then I can take those risks of moving towards people who might poke me. I can allow myself to be known and to be seen can be vulnerable. God is the greatest cure in the world for what Brene Brown calls the vulnerability hangover. (laughs) When you've made yourself vulnerable and it causes you to get hurt and you've shared stuff about you and you come away from it and you go, oh, why did I do that? (sighs) Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, well, God still loves you. It's okay. So for our church, you see, uh, how are we going to uh, how are we going to help each other actually go the distance deeply authentically as disciples of Jesus? Well, we're going to be so full of the love of God that it gives us courage and grace to open ourselves up to each other and then to as and then to study people in their vulnerability and openness and let the knowing and the being known move us to love and good deed. <laughs> not to tearing each other down and distancing each other. You see, that's what can happen. I can see what's in your life and I can, use, I can weaponize that and I can use that to attack you or I can do what's even worse is I can just ignore you and turn away from you. But actually Hebrews says, when we see 
and hear each other in all our flaws and mess, then let that provoke us to love, to move towards each other, even though it might hurt. And that's a dance, isn't it? The hedgehogs dance. Klaus and Hilda, the dancing hedgehogs. That's the dance we are all in together. But the Bible says, if God is playing the tune, if God is our ultimate dance partner, we can play that dance well of intimacy, of distance, togetherness and separateness, grace and love, and find ways to, to love each other deeply. <laughs> and love each other so deeply that you know what? We'll make it to the end with Jesus. We'll make it to the end. We won't make a shipwreck of our faith. We'll hold on. We'll get there. And when we get there, you know what we're going to get? We're going to finally get a community where we can love each other without all the crap. (laughs) We're never going to be let down. And we're never going to let anyone else down. We're going to be known and we're going to be loved and we're going to be accepted and we're going to be whole and we're going to be healed and we're going to be perfect and we're going to do that together for always and forever. That's what we're going to get at the end of it all. So let's build a church that does that, eh? Let's pray. Lord God, uh, thank you for your love for us. This grace and mercy in our lives that means at our very core we know that we are eternally known and loved and accepted and healed and out of that deep experience of love and grace a holy spirit set us give us the power and set us on a path of knowing and being known of leaning into each other and building this kind of community so that we can hold on to you jesus till the end amen